In any case, um, I'm recording as of right now. We'll see who comes in a little later and I'll adjust the uh, attendance accordingly. We got two chapters to go through. And as chapter 17 begins, it tells us, okay, art and science, that's behind us. We have discussed art, we've discussed science, we've explained why art and science are a danger uh, in, in, in larger, more theoretical doses to the stability of this system that they've established. But there's plenty more to talk about, so much more to talk about that they've had to split this into another chapter. But the split happens where, indeed, uh, Emmeholtz and Bernard are being sent finally to Iceland. Not as punishment, just as, as Joel said yesterday, as, as that, that fail-safe system applies to a place where they could be happier. I, I am certain, I am sure that Hemholtz will be a lot happier there. Bernard, though, I'm not so sure about him. I think he was pretending to want rebellion to be on top of things, whereas he might regret his decision and his actions to have been sent there. In any case, he made his bed, and now he must lie in it. We are left with the Controller and John the Savage, two complete opposites to each other, yet they're finding common ground here. And there is no disagreement, only communication. We are going to be talking about religion and God and how that particular uh, relationship and, 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 and relation to religion in that society happens and how it doesn't happen. And now, much like art and science, it, is, it can also be much of a problem for the stability of that system to be held in place. So let's get started right away. Um, in chapter 17... There's a few quotes I want to talk about. The topics I want to talk about here are God's or God changes. God changes along with men. So to talk about a God that was, yeah, I saw her. It's cool. We're just missing one person now. Uh, it's okay. So God changes along with men. So why would we read something that that was written about God that's two thousand, three thousand years old? At this point, almost four thousand years old for them. For some parts of the Bible, especially the Old Testament. When the men who have created that God, because they do believe that like, it's not God that creates men it's in, in, in his own image, it's the opposite. Men have created God in their image. And since men are changing, then God is also changing uh, to better fit the justification that they would have for themselves. Right? We've talked about yesterday how religion often is used to do terrible things. Um, at no point would Jesus in the New Testament agree that starting a war on his, by, uh, to his name would be a good idea, yet people have done that time and time and time again, somehow using the word, twisting the words to better fit their, their, their ideals and, and justifying their actions. Um, in this case, it's the same thing. We create a God to better justify ourselves. And as much as this society that we have been exploring for the last 200 or so pages is saying that they are not religious, they are atheistic people, they still somehow have a way of tickling the part of the brain that is directly connected to godlyhood, to the godlyhood and the godhead, right? They're, they're still religious, even though they, they say they're not. They are tricking themselves into appearing to be not religious, but really, all of the parts of religion are still applicable here. There's just as many traditions and ceremonies and taboos and sacrileges and way of conducting yourself as there would be in a religion. They are not allowing uh, people to think that... Uh, Morality is relative. They, they, they truly do believe in one way, and that is moral absolutism, not moral relativism. Uh, and if you do think of one, one way, though, it's not punishment. It's not burning you at the stakes. It's not putting you on a cross. It's just sending you to a place where people like you want to be together, away from the influence of this place. So far, what I've just summarized, does that make sense to you? 
Does this book seem to be suggesting yeah, those things? Yeah, that's what I'm going to talk about in my essay, so stop stealing all my ideas, dude. No, no, no. We just have concurrent parallel ideas, dude. Um, next, what I want to talk about, and this we're all going to go back to and you'll have a chance to explain yourself. And please, Renee, it's not because you're going to be talking about that in your essay that you should want to share your results with us as well. You'll still own your words and your ideas as well. Number two is old age is a sickness of the independent man. That's explained a little later on. Old age is a sickness, almost a delusion. Pain is a delusion. Old, uh, being old, the idea of old age is a sickness. I'll talk about that at some point as well. Uh, I'll hold my thoughts for that as well. I would add to it something like mortality is not necessary. Um, and then number three for this chapter, we would not feel fulfilled in paradise. Something we've touched on yesterday with the character of Hemholtz, but some people would not be happy in paradise. Some people don't belong in paradise because they wouldn't be happy there. It's something I also want to bring back, which kind of relates to an idea of religious belief as well. So let's get started. On page 203, who found something of interest? Page 203, nothing? I got, I got nothing really that really pops out either, but you might have. Claudia, I like the I like the, the wallpaper in your room. Well, never mind then. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> Alright, page 204-205. Did anybody find something of interest here? And you should have your books open and your notes ready for you for this, guys. Who here has some interest in there? Some quotes that you want to use? Yes, Madison. Um, is it any happiness or any comfort to consider that we are our own? Repeat that again, please, and tell me where to find it in the page. Where am I looking for? What page? Okay. Do you where? Okay, go ahead. Is it any happiness or any comfort to consider that we are our own? Some people may think so, but human, like mankind, isn't made for independence because you're in a natural state. Okay, let's pause and let, let, let's take a look at that for a second. Is it true? Is it true that humanity is not made to be alone? That we were made to be a pack animal? To be in a group, in a community? I think that there's strong evidence to suggest that we are, right? We are meant to be in a community. We are stronger when we are together. Um, we're, we're still like, together, but on our own, technically. Like, yeah, but well, what a paradox that is. And what a, a thin rope and a very tight rope to walk across. How do we not fall on one side or the other when, you are, when you're trying to be yourself in a group? It's very difficult. Yeah, and, it's the, it's a, and the book and the society in that book does not in any kind of way um, give us a middle ground. It's one or the other. Um, there are many islands that the controller says. There are many islands that we don't control, many places we don't control. We saw New Mexico, there's Iceland, there must be other places like that too we don't care for. Uh, maybe there they found a way to, to have uh, their own version of, 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 of walking that tightrope between being in a community yet alone. Uh, if we're going to f from an evolutionary perspective, the monkeys and the apes of our time are our cousins, right? We share a common ancestor. Um, and they're all pack animals. All of them are better together. That's how they protect themselves. That's how they grow. That's how they work. And some the most advanced uh, versions of uh, of apes have some sort of almost like a 
a task-based job in that community. They've already separated and divided the task accordingly. So right away, we can see how, like them, there's evidence that we are also like that. Um, it, it brings me back to the idea of, uh, of monogamy. We had talked about cheating and monogamy earlier in class. Uh, and often, oftentimes people go, well, see, there's some sort of monogamy in the animal kingdom. Look at penguins. They're monogamous. To a point they are, you're right, but how can we compare ourselves to that, right? We can't, that's, that, that's a faulty argument to say that human beings are meant to be monogamous when you're using a penguin as a, a reference or as a source for that. If you're using apes, though, we have probably a little bit more bearing on that and, and the apes are communal, which kind of could suggest more strongly that we should also be communal. Matt's here. What's monogamous? Means that you're uh, you're with one person for your your entire life, right? You you have a wife, you have a husband, and that is it for life, hopefully. So like the opposite of this book. Yes, quite literally the opposite of this book. Uh, monogamy is okay. the center to creating a family, right? We and the stability of the family matters. Funny enough, uh, in our society right now, especially if you go back a couple of it's years. A dog, Sorry, Audrey has a dog. Audrey has a dog. Hey, little puppy. Oh. What's his name? He looks very into this. Can't hear him. Whiskey? Oh, yeah, he just got food. That's how it is for you, too, I bet. You just, your parents put like a bunch of chips behind the computer and you stare at them and it makes you look like you're pretending to stare at us. Oh, I, I, I get it. Uh, oh, oh, that's your, that's your treat. The little, little pink flamingo. Okay, I get it. Oh, Matt, I saw your dog, too. He looks possibly deceased. Oh, we have a bunch of dogs everywhere. Oh, it's so cute. You hear that ambrosia on the on the recording? Bunch of dogs are being shown to us. You don't get to see that though. <laughs> so to, back to Matsu's point, monogamy is uh, the idea that you're you belong to one person for your entire life. Uh, yes, not the idea of the world state, though it is the idea that John shares in his uh, Indian reserve for sure. Reservation, I mean. Um, it's something that human beings have not been doing for a very long time, considering that we are a very old species, about 10,000 years. It's only in the last couple hundred years that we've begun to be really monogamous. The question becomes, are we supposed to be? Are we not supposed to be? Is it helpful? Is it a tool? Is it not? And so on. It certainly is for us in our society a tool for stability. Uh, the stability of the family household, especially if you go back a few, few decades, was essential. Um, that is why homosexuality on a social level was considered to be very evil, because never mind religion, but but if you have two men and two women together, you have no children and you have no nuclear family the same way it was explained. It was so important to have back then. How could we further our community? How can we keep transferring our morals and, and the progress of our community and our society if we don't have a strong, stable family hold? Um, so that's why homosexuality was like a threat to that idea, because to our society, stability comes from a stable family. Now, if there's divorce or cheating, and that is why divorce and cheating are so badly seen uh, nowadays, or, or less and less, especially for the divorce part, but it's, it was for the longest time. Actually, divorce was worse than cheating. If your husband cheats on you, figure it out. You're not leaving that, 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 uh, that marriage because stability of the family household was way more important than anything else. And somehow in this book, stability comes from the opposite, Matt. It comes from the idea that monogamy actually had so many faults it could hold at bay the stability so long. 
but it, but inevitably there would be cheating because you would want to be too individualistic. Inevitably, you would want not be happy with one person, so you would leave it. So the stability of the family, according to this book, would not hold long enough. So never mind all that. Skip all that. Get to the end. Built a greater dam, a greater dam to hold all the power of uh, of that of the impulses we have as human beings, and let them proliferate however they please. We will control uh, disease. So having sex has no longer gives you diseases and will control fertility. You no longer have sex to have children. In that case, might as well have the fun that we're having, right? Monogamy has no purpose there anymore. But then again, we have many instances where Bernard and then even Lenina afterwards are kind of leaning towards monogamy again. All the tourists from the world state going to the savage reservations would feel very strongly about the almost pornographic aspect of having a family of being pregnant okay of being pregnant of um of 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 being married to one person that's almost so taboo that it's their version of really taking a walk on the wild side so even in the world state's perfect system there is a curiosity for what we don't have. Right now, we are monogamous in our society. Most of us are, but there are some people out there who do not feel as though that's in their cards for their future to be monogamous. More and more these, these days. Still, it is hegemonously considered to be the norm right now to be monogamous. And, and what's taboo for us is to consider cheating, as we've talked about before. Pornographic material can be used as a, an escape mechanism for us to, to leave for a second the stability of monogamy. It's the exact same thing in the world state, except it's opposite. The pornographic material is monogamy because they don't have access to it, which is kind of cool when you consider it, right? We always want what we don't have. We can never be fulfilled and satisfied with what we have. It doesn't matter where we start from, monogamy or polygamy. It doesn't matter where we start from. What we don't have is what we want. So that's the nature of the unfulfilled human being, right? So... I'd love, I'd love if Joel could can kind of like bring back his point from yesterday. Joel, you said you said that the system that they live in is airtight, right? It is there's a fail safe for everything, except to me for that. How can you explain the the need or the desire for them to explore what they don't have in this world? Uh, Joel could talk, but it's not just Joel's point. I can also ask other people here. I'll ask Renee. I was just going to say, like, it's not necessarily polygamy, it's polyamory. Yeah, it really is. A bunch of people, not one person has X amount of spouses. Yeah, so to make it clear, monogamy is you're with one spouse. Polygamy is with your many spouses, but you're... And then polyamory is where you love everybody, regardless of any structure in terms of uh, an arrangement. Polygamy is, like, usually stereotypically, like, one man has like five wives, but those five wives are are like, bound to him, are controlled by him, loyal to him only. Yeah, experiential wise in our history, yes, it's been the case, but there's no reason why polygamy wouldn't be the other way around as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it so happens that we haven't had that in our society. You are correct about that. Uh, yeah, might as well call it what it is. It's polyamory in that sense that everybody belongs to everybody, and we don't feel a sense of attachment to anybody. And if you don't do that, then we don't have to then the 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 dam that holds the power against stability is much stronger that way yet it still doesn't have it's not fulfilled it's not it doesn't have it still has cracks uh madison and matsir you both spoke you still have your hand up do you still want to talk my bad cool 
So I wonder, it, it, this could be a, the, the, the center of, your, of one entire essay as well right there, just the concept of uh, what is taboo, of what is pornographic, of the stability of the family, and both worldviews in that state. That could also be something you want to talk about. Thank you for that, Madison. Joel. Um, so just to answer your question of how they get what they can't have, um, just like a theory, don't know if it's true, but let's maybe try, let's test why, it out. Maybe that's why they die so young. They kind of evolve and like kind of move through life until they kind of reach a point where they can't get any more. At that point, they're they die. They can't get any more what? Sorry. They can't get any more what? Any more what they can't have. So let's say when they're young, they mm -hmm. get introduced to like what sex is and what like the world they're gonna live in is. And when they're done experiencing that, uh, we can only presume that they're ready to die after that. And they're ready to give themselves up for society. So. I think that your theory holds water here. We have even in this chapter, I think a lot of, uh, of proof of that. The, the, the controller says like, we don't even care about dying because we have lived everything we wanted to live by then. Exactly, so if you take away if, if you already know that your life is going to come to an end after you've done the things you want, and there's not really any expectancy of wanting more after that. So I think the answer is much simpler than people would think because they don't want what they can't have because they don't live a long enough life to like experience things they can't have. But because some people want monogamy. Some people go explore that wild side of the savage and they're all turned on by the idea of a wife. Even though it's according to them like a, a kink or a a sort of uh, um, a sort of perversion, they're still attracted to that. Why? How do you explain this? Sorry. Which is why they have the reserves in like Iceland and all that for them. Yeah, but most people don't go to Iceland. Most people just want to travel for a little bit, go see the reserve, which they don't want to do. They just want to have a vacation there for a second and pretend they're savages. But 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 that they come back and when they come like it, it's, I'm not saying that they would want that lifestyle. I'm saying that there's a crack in their system because there's always that curiosity that you can't turn off. You can't turn off curiosity. You can't seem someone can't seem to brush away curiosity and conditioning doesn't seem to take it away either. If a lot of people go see those reservations for fun. I mean, everything's meant to end eventually and everything has a crack in it. Okay. So, like, they, they can try their best to have a perfect system, and in many ways, they will for a while, but eventually it'll end. Like, so no system is airtight fully. So that airtightness you talked about has some cracks in it. Yeah, I mean, so does everything else. Nothing is... The idea of permanency is an impossible idea. Nothing permanency. is permanent. That's, a, that's an awesome word you, you just pulled out of your head there. Permanency is a very interesting word. Even their own stability will never be completely permanent. Exactly. But it's relative to ours, they are a lot more stable than we are as a society now. Yeah, agreed. But they, they, they were talking about in one of these chapters of how they continuously want to advance in science. And that meaning that they're eventually going to find changes and to better either improve or eventually self-destruct. Mm -hmm. Humans are a self-destructing species which means that we break down and resurface over and over again. And okay, then let's, let's jump into that right away then. Um, there, this world is trying to do away with a lot of our instincts. But it's also trying to also indulge us in a lot, in a lot of our desires, which are in themselves instincts. Um, 
wouldn't it be possible for technology to do away with mortality, with death entirely? Could we not die? Could we oh. become something else? We transcend humanity. Could humanity transcend humanity? Could we become more than humans just by being humans and continue to evolve out of it? I mean, it depends what your definition of being human is. Because if... Because, like, you could argue that the people in that time are not even human just because of their, just because of the social standpoint. Okay, let's not go that far. Uh, let's pretend that humans must die. That's part of their definition. They're immortal. Okay. Could we then transcend hum- more, uh, humanity by somehow being able to live forever? I mean, I'm I'm sure that you could, but... Like with technology and all that, I'm sure they could, in some ways, use technology yeah. to make themselves live forever. But the question is, I feel like, like um, I'm actually using this subject for my essay, but they're focusing more on quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. I kind mm-hmm. of like they looked at like medical science and all stuff like that, and they're like, why are we trying to live, make people live longer, rather than make them live happier but shorter? Because, mm-hmm. and and. Because think about it. how long does it take for people in like our modern world right now to eventually live a happy life? On average, let's say it's, it takes around 30 to 40 years. Uh, I would just change that word happy. I don't think anybody ever gets to a happy life. We get to happy moments. We get to have more fun, have be more comfortable. But the pursuit of happiness is never going to be fulfilled, right? If you mean to say like it takes about 30 years to have a, an independent life, I get that. That proves my point even more. They're like, what's the point of making people live longer if they're never going to be happy? Make people live shorter and in some cases more useful lives. They're all being used somehow. And even when they die, they get used. Their bodies get used to produce um, uh, things around their environment like plants because they collect the phosphorus. Yeah. So in total, they're a lot more useful than even we are in our society. Oh, they're very efficient. That's for sure. Exactly. And they're all very happy too. And they have solutions to people who are not happy, like the Iceland thing. Like if you're not happy, sure, go live your own life here. Um, And like you said before, there's going to be cracks in that system, but every system has cracks. It's impossible for anything to last forever. But I feel like in total, they they do have a pretty good system there. And I feel like they kind of get the 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 the, like point of view of living forever or like prolonging human life i feel like they they kind of they don't care for that that. two things one it's incredible that we are arguing that side of the argument i can't believe i'm arguing that side i want to be on the other side but i am not somehow and two we're almost kind of like disproving the ability we're disproving the existence of heaven right like heaven could not even be, it's another construct, another system that also have, must have cracks if all systems have cracks, which is nuts. Or is it because heaven, if it's really real, is not what is shown in this book? What we want is, because this book is the finality of what we want right now in our lives. People want those things. People want the end of war and famine and hunger and all those things. This book has that. And we are almost swayed by it and seduced by it. So if this is not heaven, a religious heaven I'm talking about here, a moral heaven, 
then I really wonder what heaven looks like. I really wonder what that feels like. Do we not even know what we ourselves want? Where are we all lost in this little mess? It sounds like that. It's crazy. Anyway, we can get into that a little later. Uh, Audrey wanted to say something. I know you probably have to say something about earlier. We we're talking about monogamy, but still, I want to hear your thoughts. Oh, I was just—it was a really stupid question because it was really bothering me. And how do they decide who gets to die and like when? <laughs> it's never really touched on. Um, they said around sixty years old is when people die. Uh, I wonder. Yeah, they kill them. They just like decide like ah uh, pew. Well, there's a movie out there that came out in the '70s, just before Star Wars came out, and it was kind of ignored. It's called Logan's Run. Uh, it's kind of a cheap movie, but uh, the idea was that at 60 you were put to death. At 60 you were you were willingly going into your own death, and then at some point, or it might, it might have been 50, um, or even earlier, maybe actually I don't remember. That movie was supposed to be remade with Ryan Gosling, but it never happened. Uh, in any case, Logan's Run is about him running away from his mortality, not being accepting of that, which I'm now thinking is based in this book. Uh, that movie is a lot more specific about the mechanism of, of how, where you end your life. This book, unless I missed something, unless somebody here saw something that, that I didn't, does not really touch on that, Audrey, which is frustrating, I know. Uh, yeah, because it was really bothering me. I was like, I really want to know how like, they decide who dies and when they die. Same like, for the naming. The director stay alive forever? Like, no, probably not, because he was born also, and he doesn't seem to live any longer than other people. Uh, they're still people, and like, who gets to name them Mustafa Mond and Bernard Marx? Like, uh, the naming and the death is something that's very strange to me as well, which is not explained in this book, as far as I can tell. Uh, let's move on. I have a few more quotes about God. Um, Two of four, God, hundreds of years ago, not God today, not not God now. But then, uh, then the savage asks, "But God doesn't change. But men do, though. What difference does it make?" All the difference in the world. He, he got up and blah, blah, blah. There's a man called Cardinal Newman. A cardinal, he exclaimed parenthetically, was a kind of arch commu- community songster. No, never mind all that. Not what I mean to say. What I mean to say right now is that God changes with man. So a God that, according to this guy here, according to society, us reading the Bible now is us reading about us back then, not about us now, which is also problematic. We use 2,000-year-old logic to explain how we should act now because according to the Bible, morality is absolute. It does not change. So it doesn't matter how old it is. It's been right all along and it's still right now. According to these guys, it's all relative. The Bible, men change, therefore humanity's idea of goodness changes along with it. So why would we get stuck in a text that is so old that is no longer relevant? So I said earlier that this world is morally absolute in the way they see themselves. But then it's saying here that the old way was relative and it still should be. So even then here, I think that their logic is a little faulty in that system. Their moral, there's one way to live, but morality from from God is relative. So it's really strange how they navigate that. I wonder if their world, I guess they are experimenting a lot with options, right? So maybe their world is slow to evolve but it still does evolve it's still more stable than us but like maybe a hundred years in their future some things will have been tweaked to be even more stable even more efficient probably with technology so i guess in that sense it still is advancing but at a crawling speed um he was a philosopher if you know what that is a man who dreams of fewer things than there are in heaven and earth 
said the savage, which is a quote from uh, Hamlet, actually. You're going to read that next year. Uh, it's Horatio who tells Hamlet, there are more things that are dreamt up in your philosophy, which is about that. But a philosopher is what we're going to do next year. So I, thought, I just thought it was fun to underline that. Page 206, 207. Anybody found something interesting? Yeah, I think so. Go for it. Yeah. Um, God is incompatible with machinery and scientific medicine and universal happiness. You must make your choice. Our civilization has chosen machinery and medicine and happiness. And also people believe in God because they've been conditioned to believe in God. So we're no less conditioned now in our society now than they are then, just differently. How is it true that God is incompatible with scientific medicine and so on? I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Because they're both trying to explain the same thing. They have two different answers to the same thing. So you have to choose. And the choosing is not from logic. It's from conditioning. That's what it seems to be saying here. I have a quote here from 206. But in the middle, you can only be independent of God while you've got youth and prosperity. Independence won't take you safely to the end. Well, now... Well, we're now got youth and prosperity right up to the end. What follows, evidently, that we can be independent of God. So they're saying here that old age brings you, makes you more religious, right? Because you, you're approaching your own mortality, it makes you ponder and, and consider those options. And, and, and you're no longer worried about money because you've established yourself. You're no longer worried about, about a mate because you found a wife. And you're no longer worried about children because you've had them. And you're no longer worried about the impulses of youth. So as an older man, as an older woman, you get to to con contemplate more things and you could become more religious. In this society, they have done away with old age. They have done away with old age. It's a sickness of the independent man. So if you're going to do away with old age, you do away with the contemplation of God and mortality entirely. So there's no need for it anymore. I thought it was an interesting idea. When youthful desires never fail, which to me sounds terrifying, honestly. Like when youthful desires never fail at some point i'm 30 years old what i now desire is not what i desired at 20 and it is not what i desired at 10 those are youthful desires i'm still young ish i'm sure at 40 i will not desire what i now want consider that for a second how we evolve and change if that never changes if you're allowed to be a kid up until you're 60 that to me sounds terrifying because maybe i'm conditioned to think that but i know that the idea of, um, <laughs> very obviously here, the idea of being alone in a city that's felt so appealing to me at 20 no longer feels as appealing to me now at 30. I'm 33 there, but still, we're going to go decade by decade. The idea of like going out to a club when I was 18 sounded awesome. You couldn't drag me there if you gave me money or like, I'd rather go to the dentist than go clubbing. So I'm glad that those desires failed me, right? I'm glad I'm evolving out of this. It sounds like a curse to never have to evolve out of your desires. What do you think about that? Nothing? Not even Emily, who's eating pasta? Oh, Joe, I, I, really 
So, so sorry. Uh, Renee, what'd you say? I just said that I like going to the dentist. You are a sadist, my friend. You are messed up. I'm worried Why? about you. Do you also I like killing that, puppies and young and small animals? I've never had like a bad experience. I never needed braces or a appareil or... Okay. I've never had a tooth pulled. I've never had a cavity. I've never... I'm usually in and out within a half hour. You don't mind I, having somebody poke you with very, very sharp instruments into the very softest part of your body? <laughs> I The only thing that bothers me about the dentist the is the fact that when I'm out, I have to wait a half hour before I can eat. <laughs> Literally the only thing that's inconvenient. Well, clearly, Renee, you've proven yourself to be uh, unstable and unable to remain in our society. So off to Iceland with you. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, but she, she did say she did say that she likes things because other people don't. That is true. You're very contrarian, Audrey. I like a contrarian. I am one too. Uh, Joël, what's up? Um, how would they know? to like light something better when they never experience uh -huh. it. Like, You're going back to my dog story. My dog doesn't know what it feels like to have his testicles still attached to him. He doesn't remember it. So you're right, you're right. It's conditioning, it's our, our history, our memory is, uh, is wrong, is what's keeping us wanting to evolve. You're right. They don't care because they don't know any better. Ignorance is still bliss. Emily's talking to Emily's mom right now. Hello, Emily's mom. No, so much, so much. <laughs> Ton chum? Ton frère. Older no. or younger? Cousin. Cousin. <gasps> you're living with your cousins in your house? What's wrong with you? COVID. Don't you know? Don't you know cousins are like the main cause of COVID? <laughs> Messier agrees with Rene. Okay, you can be two of you guys settling on... Uh, Oh, three of you. Okay, fine. All three of you can go settle some settlement in uh, in Iceland, you crazy psychopath. I hope you also enjoy killing small animals because that must explain you away. I don't enjoy it. It just doesn't bother me. Like, it's fine. Right. And, like, after my teeth feel really clean. So, like, whatever. All right. The chair's comfy. That's fair. The chair's comfy. All right. All right. It is. Well, like, like, then... This is really nice. Do you yeah, still get a treat at the really end? You, you also get like a little treat yeah. at the end to make you feel good about it? <laughs> they always shove the like suction thing down your throat and you feel like you're just like, I don't know. What, what dentist do you go to? Like in the past few years, I've also gotten like a new really hot dentist, so I'm not complaining. Oh, that's what it is. Now I understand. Yeah, but I've only gotten that guy from like for the past few years. After that, uh, before that, I, like I still didn't mind going. That's a fair point, but I'm sure that a hot dentist helps somehow. We we got we got the hot <laughs> dentist from this book. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. Um, page one two o seven. But it isn't natural to feel there's a god. But isn't it natural to feel there's a god? This is what the savage asks. Controller then answers, you might as well ask if it's natural to do, to do up one's trousers with zippers. He's saying that we've invented God fully. There's no such thing as God first. It's men first. All of it's conditioning. <clears throat> only, 
one believes things because one has been conditioned to believe them. That's the only, according to this book, according to this society, I won't say this book, because if I say according to this book, I'm saying according to Aldo Huxley, which I'm not saying. I think Aldo Huxley is saying the opposite, actually. But according to the controller and the world state, we, the belief has to come from conditioning. Nothing else can make you believe something. Only conditioning. How do we feel about that? Do we agree? Do we disagree? All the things we believe are only beliefs because we've been conditioned, maybe sometimes by ourselves, to believe them. You make yourself believe it, or others make you believe it. All religion, all of the concepts of gods, all that is kind of like just... All, like, not again, not, not the academic concept of God, like a, as a, an initial motor, like not the first cause to all things. That could still be real. The, the Descartesian God, you know, the deduced God that we can deduce out of ignorance, that could still be real because I don't believe in that God. I, I deduce him intellectually. But if you believe in a God out of logic, that is conditioning. That's what the control at least is saying. I wonder if that's true. Let's keep that in mind too, eh? Aldo Huxley here. I want to say that Matsuri yesterday asked a question. Do you think that Aldo Huxley had some affiliation with like the Nazis? And I didn't have, I didn't have a real answer for you. Answer is no, clearly not. I think that Aldo Huxley would never want us to live in the society of the world state. He is deploring it. The thing is, the guy is so smart. He's like, he's, he's kind of like arguing against himself to make a good drama and to, to show the opposite view. And he does it so well that we're almost believing it. But from her, and I'm sure that people at his age, people in the 30s would read this very differently than what we're reading right now. In the 30s, the world was so different that this might look very much terrible to them without any kind of, uh, of good side. But to us now, knowing what we know, what happens after the 30s up until this point and what we're going to, I, I don't, it, it might feel a little different. How do Uxley's argument might fail a little bit because now we're... I'm, I think, I think Aldo Huxley is the savage. Luckily, is that true or are you just laughing at us right now? <laughs> no, I'm just laughing at you guys. Clearly. Uh, 208, 209. I have Kami, something. Yeah, go ahead. From 209? Yeah. You can't have a lasting civilization without plenty of pleasant vices. So if you don't know what vices are, it's like immoral or wicked behavior. Smoking so is a vice. Sorry? Smoking is a vice. Waking up too, too late in the morning is a vice. Playing too much video games, that's a vice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like immoral behavior, right? And the way it's phrased, like pleasant vices, it's kind of self-conscious. Like it's a paradox. Oh, but I disagree. I think all vices are pleasant. That's why we have them. Immoral behavior is pleasant to you? Um, Waking up late, oversleeping, defying the rules, that's pleasant. Yeah, yeah, it is. It can be criminal. Or, well, it's like guilty pleasures. It feels mm -hmm. good. Vice are usually... Okay. Yeah. Kevin, are you like perfect? Like you've never done anything bad? No, I didn't say that. I <laughs> I think when you I, do I, something I, bad, don't you feel like kind of 
I'm a badass, you know? You might feel bad about it morally. Yeah, advice is like something, like, it's like your go-to, you know? Okay. It's like the one thing that you'll always, like, go back Dude. to. There's two different definitions to advice, all right? There's immoral personal characteristics, as which you guys are kind of saying, like hypocrisy or something. And there's immoral or wicked behavior, such as, I don't know, uh, chocolate or just plain criminal and that's the way i yeah i think the secondary the, the second definition makes more sense for our context okay and in that that's sense yeah it's a guilty pleasure alexa you're right about that anyways i thought that phrase was cool and I wanted to yeah it is uh we all jumped on you like a bunch of gammas but yeah it's cool I have one too on page 109. I have a couple. But chastity means passion. Chastity means passion. In order for something to be passionate, you must have to wait for it. Okay, you're a little young for this. I was in university when the, when the Dark Knight was coming out. You, you have seen that movie, right? The Dark Knight? It's the second uh, Batman movie with the Joker. You guys were like, you guys were barely born then, but I was there. Uh, this was 11 years ago uh, or so. Yeah, 11 years ago. It's crazy. And I, I, ha I was a big movie buff. I loved movies so much and I would anticipate them for, for months ahead. And this, was a, this was a big one. I knew all the news about it. I was anticipating from the first one. And then in January, it was really, it's being released in, in, like, in the summer, in July. And in January, I think it was that Heath Ledger, the Joker, died of an overdose. And oh my god, what like it's supposed to be like because of the movie too? Like, what's this movie going to be about? The previews were so cool. Everything looks so, so amazing about it. And we really started hyping it up. I became very passionate about seeing that movie. And then when we finally saw it, it was great. It was a great movie. I love that movie so much. But it was only so great because of the anticipation that comes before it. Chastity is withholding. Okay, chastity means not having sex. I get it. But there's other kinds of chastity. In that sense, I was chastised. I had to wait to see that movie for six months of anticipation. And that builds passion. To never have to wait, to never have to work for something means no passion, right? You always have it all the time. You don't appreciate it as much. So chastity equals passion. To have somebody sexually right away might be fun, but it's not very passionate because there's no romance there. This is why we love Romeo and Juliet so much. They can't be together. Therefore, passion. That making sense? Same page. Civilization has absolutely, absolutely no need of nobility or heroism. These things are symptoms of a political inefficiency. How cool is that? You only need a hero when there's a problem. There's no need for heroes when there's no problem with the politics, when the system you're in. There's no need to be noble. There's no need for you to be a hero at all when there's no problem to fix. I think that Bernard wants to be a hero. I think that John wants to be a hero for different reasons. I think that Hemholtz has it in him to be a hero, but then he also is very selfish because he just, oh yeah, great, I get to go to Iceland, awesome. <laughs> Or I get to be fulfilled, maybe. Bottom of that page. There's no such thing as a, as a divided allegiance. You're so conditioned that you can't help doing what you ought to do. And what you ought to do is, on the whole, so pleasant. So many of the natural impulses are allowed free play that, that, there's really, that there really aren't any temptations to resist. You allow all of your little temptations, impulses to, to live. 
to, 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 to play freely, just like those kids in chapter 3 met here. That there's no reason to escape that. Why? 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 <laughs> like, why? Like... Will, that be, will that be your essay, Metsir? Well, that it has to be, right? I'm assuming it will be. I'm not talking about children having sex. That is not okay. <laughs> to be fair, they weren't having sex. They were uh, engaging in erotic play. Isn't that the exact same thing? I don't think so. I think that eroticism, just like passion and chastity, happens it's, by withholding. You know what? You know what? It really doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Page 210, 211. Anybody? Christianity without tears. That's what Soma is. It gives you absolution without any of the dread that comes with religious belief. I thought that was well said. Uh, if after every tempest comes such calm, may the winds blow till they have awakened death. That is the savage's answer to that. Kind of coming back to what we mean about like, you know, you only feel as though you have earned a good night's sleep after working hard that day. Only after being cold outside, you want the, the warmth of the campfire. This is from Othello, a play we, you have not read by Shakespeare. And it's, oh my God, if, if the beautiful calm after a, a storm only happens because of the storm, and however strong the storm was, there's going to be an equal amount of calm after, then give me the harshest storm ever. Because it means that afterwards I get the most beautiful calm in the world. Right, you can only appreciate something by knowing and experiencing the opposite. Does that make sense? So this is said by, like, it makes sense to me, that this is said by the savage and by Shakespeare. This is in direct opposition to what the, the controller is saying, yet it all makes sense. Ah, I messed up. The bottom, yes, that's just like you, getting rid of everything unpleasant instead of learning to put up with it. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of trouble or by, and by opposing end them. But you don't do either. Neither suffer nor oppose. That quote is from Hamlet. See you guys next year for that. I thought it was cool. They don't oppose or suffer anything. They go with the flow. They don't, put, they don't feel the need to put up with problems. Page 211. What you need, the savage went on, is something with tears for a change. Nothing costs enough here. There's a great deal in it, the controller replied. Men and women must have their... Adrenals stimulated from time to time. That's something new we didn't know before. The VPS, the violent, uh, what is it? Violent passion surrogates. We should probably talk about that for a second there. Once a month or so, they, they, they get injected with this, this, like this, this adrenaline. And they're calling it VPS, a violent passion surrogate. Almost like to flush the system to get them to that point of Oh, I know the opposite of calm. Here's a storm for a few minutes. Here's adrenaline. Here's fear. Here's passion. Here's violence inside my own head by injecting people with adrenaline. So even then, I'm going back to, to Joel. Where you're, oh, fuck. They even thought about that, right? They even thought about that they would need to feel the opposite to appreciate what is not the opposite. It feels like a, an oil change, though. It feels like an oil change. Once a month or so or two months, we go get an oil change for our cars. 
the gas you put in that's food, but the oil change is something else, right? The oil change is kind of like, oh, I'm going for my oil change, I'm going for my VPS right now. It makes them even feel even more like cars, even more like objects. Thought that was cool. Any thoughts on that? You guys are boring today. I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. That's the quote I used uh, in the explanation of, uh, of the unit when I gave you the introduction to it. Uh, now we get to see a bit more context around it. I, you're going to understand why all these things, all these opposite things are needed or wanted. Phil. Uh, am I allowed to use that quote? Yeah, of course you are. Why wouldn't you be? I'm curious. I don't know. It's because you used it for the beginning of the... No, no, it's a good quote. It depends on how you use it, of course. I have one last one. In fact, said Mustafa Man, you're claiming the right to be unhappy. And he's saying, yeah, I am claiming the right to be unhappy. I have the right to be unhappy. And he's saying, well, you're welcome. You will be. And he releases it into the wild, bringing us into the last chapter. Chapter 18, which honestly to me felt important, but I have very little to say about it. Maybe you guys have found some more stuff to say about the last chapter. The savage says, I ate civilization. It poisoned me. I was defiled. And then I ate my own wickedness. He is really slingshotting back to his old self. And then even more so, he feels like he has to punish himself because of what he, what has been done to him despite his own conditioning. He isolates himself a lot. He builds this little place where he wants to be alone, maybe to salvage some sort of happiness at the end. Some sort of like, not even happiness, just some solace. You know what the word solace means? It's like some, not comfort, but some, some okayness, you know? Solace is like, I'm okay with this. Luckily. Okay, this might be like spoilers or whatever. Oh, we read the book. I want to talk about... Why did John kill himself at the end? We're getting there, and we can jump to it. And uh, he lived himself and all that stuff. That was just weird. Felt like he just made up an ending. I don't know. I think it's important. Okay, all these characters are all bystanders. Not bystanders, but they're all... They're not really characters, right? They're just a type of person. Lenina is the type of person who does not want to leave the cave ever. Bernard is the type of person who wants to leave the cave to have an upper hand on the cave. Uh, Helmholtz is the kind of guy, the kind of person who escapes the cave and never wants to come back to the cave. We always have like one character who's doing one thing that's different than all the other ones. John is the kind of guy who lives outside the cave, or maybe you could argue in his own cave and goes to see another cave. Uh, Mustafa Mond is Bernard's dream come true, then, but he doesn't get to be that, right? Um, he gets to be the chief of it all, the controller, while Bernard does not get to do that. Um, Linda is somebody who escapes the cave despite herself and has to, and never gets to come back to the cave. So they're all kind of types of people. I don't think we need to read the savage at the end of this play as a character. We need to read him as an allegory. He's a, he's a symbol or he's a placeholder for a type of people. And I think that his death at the end is the necessary end argument that 
Aldo Huxley is giving us for his thesis of the book. If you live in a world that's so absolute like that, the only escape is death. The only escape is to give it all up. I don't think he's saying we should all kill ourselves. I'm saying, I think he's saying we should never live in that world lest we should have no other options but to end it all. Does that make sense? It's like a warning. Yeah, I think. I mean, we could read it. I mean, it is it is said in the most depressing way ever. Like this book ends on such such sorrowful ends. Uh, just under the crown of the arch dangled a pair of feet, Mister Savage. Slowly, very slowly, like two unhurried compass needles, the feet turned towards the right, north, northeast, east. Southeast, south, south, southwest, then paused. After a few seconds, turned as unhurriedly back towards the left. South, southwest, south, southeast, east. That's how the book ends. I don't think I've ever read a more depressing end to a book. Have you? It's, uh, it's, it's like hanging himself. Yeah, he hung himself. Because all they did here was use him. As a tool to, to get themselves off. There's a bunch of quotes here. 412, 4, uh, uh, 214. There was silence in spite of their sadness because of it. Even for their sadness was a symptom of, the, of their love for one another. The three young men were happy. Finally happy to have gone where they had gone. Um, one, 216. He had decided to live there because the views was so beautiful. Because this... From his vantage point, he seemed to look out on the incarnation of a divine being. But who was he to be pampered with the dailies and hourly sights of loveliness? Who was he to be living in the vision, the visible presence of a god? All he deserved to live in was some filthy sty, some blind hole in the ground, stiff and aching after his long nights of pain. But for that very reason, inwardly reassured, he climbed up to the platform of his tower. He looked out over the bright sunrise world, which he had regained the right to inhabit. To feel the need to inhabit that world and then to feel as though we don't deserve that happiness. It's a very human and very present feeling, I think. Um, also the first time in the entire book that somebody appreciates nature. A sunrise, a mountaintop, all to yourself, solitude. Sounds like a beautiful sight to me. And for the first time ever, we have a person who gets to appreciate them. Interesting, you know, that's his paradise. But then his paradise gets ravaged. He, he, he punishes himself with the flogging. But then he feels like he's done it enough and he deserves his paradise. But then his paradise is lost because people come to, to it, to see it, to see him loving it. And that like turns them on. The woods, the open stretches of heathers and yellow gorges, the clumps of scotch firs, the shining ponds with their overhanging birch trees, their, lily, their water lilies, their bed of rushes. These were beautiful and to an eye accustomed to aridities of the American desert, astonishing. That's huge right there. That's like almost like a conclusion for that, for that topic we're talking about. To only appreciate something out of hardship. Well, somebody who's used to the aridities, the arid desert. It's astonishing that to see such lushness. People who have not seen a desert would not appreciate a swamp. But he lives in a swamp. He loves that swamp. 
because he knows the desert. Bottom of page 217. But when it came to pan glandular biscuits and vitaminized beef surrogate, he had not been able to resist the shopman's persuasion. Looking at the tins now, he bitterly reproached himself for his weakness. So even as he left the world state, he still took with him parts of it, the food and the clothes. And he, he hates himself for that. He can't completely shed that part. Hello? We're back. Hello. Really? Awesome. So he, 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 come, he can't help himself but to bring with him parts of what he saw in the cavern. And for that, he hates himself. You can never fully close a door that you've opened because you know what's beyond that door. So he can never be whole again. He can never be fully himself again because of that. On page one, uh, 218, the work gave him an intense pleasure. It was pure delight to be doing something that demanded skill and patience. It's ego though, right? It's, he's finding his ego. Ego is, is individuality. 221, we're all crazy to know about the whip and then something about civilization. You know, the sort of stuff. So people kind of defile him. They want something out of him. They want him to whip himself because it's so alien and taboo to them to hurt yourself like that. Evil's an unreality if you take a couple of grams. Pain's a delusion. Even death in that sense is a delusion if you consider the point of view of the, uh, the world state people. 223, in the middle. Patience and skill had been rewarded. He had spent three days sitting inside the bowl, the, the bowl and then, oh yeah, this is somebody who's going to take pictures of him, right? Somebody from the world state who's willingly, strangely enough, putting himself in displeasure to get something out of it. And that to me is messed up. Like this is, if we had a sequel, I would base it on this guy. This journalist who is apparently conditioned to feel no pain. Did you like that? No, I hated that shit. Why? That actually pissed me off more than anything. What part? Like everyone's just so close-minded and they don't think and they just assume that he's going to be fine, right? Yeah. But like little did they know. I know what you mean. They don't care about him at all. He's just a prop to be used, right? But I think there is hidden somewhere in there a bit of, uh, of, of happiness for John. John wants the world state to not exist, right? He wants them to rebel against their terrible world, right? Well, here's somebody who's taking his cues. A journalist, two things he does. He wants reward for himself, something that you don't want, you don't need because you're not an individual. Your ego is nothing in the world state. Yet this guy here wants to stand out, kind of like what Bernard wanted. And he willingly puts himself into a painful situation by squatting for three days in the bush in wet, wetness, right? So pain is rewarding for him and his ego. Somebody who's not used to that. It's said here, patience and skill had been rewarded. He had spent three days sitting inside a bowl in an, in, uh, in an, well, the bowl of an ancient, oh my God, artificial oak tree. Three nights crawling on his belly through the heathers, hiding microphones and gorse in gorth bushes, burying wires in the soft gray sand. 72 hours of profound discomfort. And now the great moment had come. This is a guy from the world state who decides to sacrifice three days of extreme discomfort to get something for himself out. And he's probably never known discomfort too. That's right. So for him to willingly do this, 
for the only reward that would be what? That would be his ego and himself standing out of the crowd of the world state. That is kind of exactly what John wants, right? He wants ego to come back. He wants individuals to want things that are hard and rewarding because they are hard. So as much as John can't close the door to what he saw in the world state, he also himself was a door for people in the, door, in, in, in the world state. He infected the world state with these ideas, right? Because here's a guy here, here's an example of a journalist who's nameless, who's only there 